Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once, it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com The Late Launch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors' Summer Sales Event. Get low as can be, APR, zero deposit, and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda, or Cavan. Good afternoon, and you're very welcome along to Friday's Late Lunch with myself, Joan Larkin, sitting in for Jerry for the next couple of hours. I do hope you can stay with us on this miserable, rainy old Friday. A very busy show as usual lined up. If you have any comments or thoughts on the show, you can call us or text us or WhatsApp us on 086-1800-658. Now, kicking off the show today, we have a story from just down the road from us here in Slane. A part-time publican is urging vintners in rural areas to be extra vigilant after beer kegs were brazenly robbed from outside his Main Street premises in broad daylight. Brian Kelly joins me now on the line. How are you, Brian? Hi, very good, John. Thanks for having me on the show. Not at all, Brian. Can you tell us what happened on the Main Street in Slane? Uh, yeah, last Wednesday, uh, I was due a delivery uh, by Heineken. Uh, I had five kegs ordered for the weekend. And uh, normally they deliver between half nine and ten. They're pretty punctual. So uh, they delivered us uh, just before ten, um, about ten past ten. And... Uh, deliver the kegs, the five kegs, and uh, put them out. Normally, I'm there myself to take them in, or my dad. Uh, but unfortunately, I wasn't there um, as I started um, a full-time job um, up in, up in um, Dunboyne. So I leave very early in the morning. I'm up there for half five. I start at half five and finish at half one. But uh, my dad is normally there. My, my dad got delayed, so he got delayed by about by, by 40 minutes. So the kegs were dropped anyway, and uh, lo and behold... Uh, about two minutes past ten, uh, a van came down uh, and just sussed out the area, turned around and then pulled up outside the pub and opened the side door and within five minutes they had lifted the five kegs, put them in the van and drove off. Loaded up the kegs in, in broad daylight on the busy main street in Slane. I know it well, of course, traffic's usually stopped right up past your pub, Brian, because the traffic light's there in the middle of the village. So presumably there'd have been a lot of people stopped sitting in their cars just watching this going on. Uh, well, normally, yeah, there is back-to-back with traffic. Uh, mm. But um, on, on that particular day, they, they obviously sussed the area out to make sure that there was no one around. And uh, they obviously got parked outside the pub, uh, which is pretty unusual because normally there is cars parked there. Mm. But uh, uh, as I said, they had it sussed out. So whether they surveilled the place before, previous to this, I, I don't know. But uh, as I said, they, they got out and, and they were as brazen as anything. They had baseball caps on, um you know, uh, one of them, he, he looked at the kegs. I, I had a chain on the keg. There it wasn't, it wasn't locked. I didn't have a deadlock on it. Uh, but he fluted around and he thought, oh, I can open this. So he did anyway. And um, as I said, he struggled with the keg. Uh, he got it in and then he beckoned the driver to come out and uh, one by one to put the kegs in. 
and just uh, drove away. As I said, as brazen as anything, you know what I mean? And, so you, um, you've pretty good CCTV footage of the theft, Brian, and, and it, you've shared it on social media. I've seen it myself. It's been viewed over 24,000 times, so you would hope somebody would come forward with some kind of information. The CCTV footage is very clear, isn't it? Uh, it is very clear, yeah. It distinguishes both guys. Obviously, you can't see the faces because of the baseball caps. Um, unfortunately, it didn't pick up the reds. Um, you know, if I had got the reds, I would have got them. But, uh, well, look, uh, we'll just have to be more vigilant. But obviously, to let publicans out there know that in uh, rural countryside or, 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 or village towns that don't open till probably five in the evening, you know, just make sure um, they're there at all times when their kegs are delivered. Because, as like I said, this is happening. These guys, these hackers, they're following the lorry around and... Uh, you know, they're, they're, it's easy pickings for them. Like, it was a thousand euro worth of stock to me, you know what I mean, which I have to pay for. Yeah. And, and, and these guys are picking up the kegs, and if they're selling them for a hundred, like, a keg is worth 200 euro. So if they're, if they're knocking them off for a hundred apiece, you know what I mean? That's, that's five, 500 quid. That's 500 them, for five uh, minutes' work. For, for five minutes' work, you know. And, and Brian, so, tell me, you're a part time publican. You're saying yourself there you have a full time job as well. Is, is this because you couldn't possibly make a living part time in the pub? Is it difficult these days? It's very difficult. It's very difficult for publicans, you know. Uh, obviously, if you do food, a lot of pubs have turned diversified into food um, because obviously mm. drink sales are down. Um, yeah, it, it, it's a, a road I had to go, you know. So, as I said, I've started a, a full-time job. I do 40 hours a week, and then I put 30, 40 hours in, into the pub at the weekends. Well, I do four days, you know, in, yeah. in the pub, and then apart from working during the day. But, uh, unfortunately, this is what I have to do to, you know, subsidise the wage, you know, because... Some weeks I wouldn't. After all the hidden bills and costs, like running a pub is is is, is, is expensive. It's very expensive, um, you know. So in order to to to, to you know command the wage, but um, that's a tough yeah, week's work for you, Brian. That's forty hours in your normal job and thirty plus in the pub. Yeah, that's yeah, that's not that. easy. Can you, is this normal in in um, for part time publicans or even in rural pubs? We'll say to have the kegs delivered and just left outside. Is that normal? It is normal, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. It is normal practice, you know. Right. But um, yeah, as I say, um, normally, like I, 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 I could be in or could be delayed or whatever, yeah. you know. I, I, I never leave them out any longer than this. They should be out, you know what I mean? Because yeah, obviously, it's it, it's uh, it's it's money to them, you know what I mean? It's Absolutely. cash in the hand, you know. So Navangard, they are investigating this for you. And um, um, Navangard, have been very good. Yeah, that they, 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 they came in, they looked at the CC footage. Uh, we're, we're downloading and then I, I, I want to put it on a, a, a memory stick and see if we can get tweak and, and get the reds and get these guys, you know. So if anybody but, uh, has has any information, it's Navangardi yeah. they'd go to. Yeah, and people were very good. Like people uh, private messaged me and they said that uh, dash cams and whatever, but they were coming through the village. But unfortunately, the, the, the timing wasn't that particular time, you know. So okay. like people have been very good in their response. So just but, remind uh, us again, Brian, remind us again. It was last Wednesday... Last Wednesday at two minutes past ten, uh, outside the pub. And so the pub is across from the credit union there in Slane. Uh, the Mine Valley and across from the credit union in Slane. So if anybody or, saw anything suspicious, yeah. the white van or, or they were passing yeah. by and they saw the kegs being unloaded or loaded into the white van, that Navangardi is their next protocol. Yeah, Navangardi were very, um, very quick to respond. They came out. We looked at the CCTV footage, and um, you know it's okay. It's Okay, the kegs are gone, fair enough, but it's the brazen, the brazenness of them, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, these, these guys don't obviously hold the job, they don't obviously work, this is what they do, this is what they do, this is how they command making a, making a living, going around and, and, and 
piggybacking off the people that are out there trying to make a living and do things right. You know? And meanwhile, it's cost you a thousand euro in, in kegs that have been taken. Yes, cost me a thousand euro, which, you know. Well, Brian, the best of luck. Anybody with any information at all can can go straight to Navangardi and and let them know and they'll take it from there. Brian, thanks a million for taking the time today. Thanks very much. Good luck to you, Brian. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors Summer Sales Event. The 192 Dacia range is now available with low APR, zero deposit and finance to suit your needs. Blackstone Motors has the Northeast covered. Now you're very welcome back to Late Lunch. Now the dad of a gifted student who has special needs fears that his son's behavioural progress will be destroyed with the axing of an invaluable resource class at his school from September. Simon Warmby from Navin's on the line now to tell me about a petition he started to try to get this class retained for his young son. Simon, how are you? How are you doing? Simon, you're very welcome to Late Lunch. Will you tell us first of all about Jamie and, and the difficulties that he faced before he started at St. Oliver's? Right, okay. Well, basically, uh, Jamie's 11 years of age now. He's 11 in June. Um, Jamie came to live with me about three years ago. He was in um, Ratcairn at the time, the the national school over there, so he was fluent in Irish. Um, Just with his behaviour problems, he was having an awful lot of trouble at school. He has severe ADHD, and um, so he moved into Navan with me, and... um, we got him enrolled in St. Oliver's. Now, the first year, he would have been moving into second class. So um, that was first communion year as well. So he, he had a lot going on. He was uh, missing his mom and stuff like that. And um, along with the behaviour stuff, then going to a new school. Mm. And um, I, 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 I think he found it very difficult the first yeah. year. You know, he had an awful lot of trouble at the school, even though... They were very, um, very tolerant with him now, I have to admit, now they were brilliant. And Simon, his ADHD, how does it manifest for Jamie? Um, how do you mean? Is it his behaviour, is he unable to sit still, unable to concentrate, or does well, he just get yeah, frustrated well, there's, with there's, himself? There's, there's a lot of different things, like he'd be yeah. very prone to being very impulsive now with mm. um, lashing out and all that kind of stuff. Okay. You know, like he, was on, he was on a lot of medication now when he came to me. And uh, we have him down to one tablet a day, which is fantastic. Now. Okay. 24-hour time release tablet that he's taking now at the moment. But um, So you believe yeah, this so life skills class has been invaluable for Jamie? I, I, I must admit, I don't, I've never heard of a life skills class. Can you explain to us what, what that's about, um, Simon? It's, it's basically like a resource class where the, the likes of Jamie and, and the other children now, obviously, um, with different uh, development problems and stuff, they would be taken out of their mainstream class and brought to this room maybe for, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes or a half an hour or so just to give them a, a reprieve from the classroom environment. The mm. teacher gets a reprieve. The, the other pupils get um, get a break as well, if you understand. Yes, yes. Um, and so it, it's, it, it's, it's very reward-based as well, whereas um, the, Jamie might have to do a certain subject or a certain uh, bit of homework or something like that and if he gets his task completed in a certain amount of time then he would get a reward for it as in maybe um, do, do something with the guitar or go out into the garden or mm. you know like the, so, so it, 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 it's brilliant now, so, it's I mean, reward based noticed, yeah 
Yeah, we've noticed an, an awful lot of changes in him now in the last couple of years. Now, Jamie's never been on the, the main school tour either. This year was the first year that he's actually been on it. So he and actually was able to go with his class on the school tour? Yeah, he was tour. able to go with his full class. Now, the, but the, even the resort room now, out of that there, they have, um, they arrange smaller trips. Yeah. For the, for the other kids that don't get to go on the main school trip, if you understand. I do, but he um, was able to so go. He was able to go this year, he was. And, and enjoyed it. Did he enjoy yeah, it? Well, yeah, of course, absolutely. I mean, it was, Loved it. It, 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 was, it, it, was a bit, it was a big feat for him to get to go in the first place, you know. And when did you hear that this class wasn't coming back in September, that it's well, been stopped? Um, uh, Miss Keen Faulkner, who's the principal there, uh, rang me the day of the school holidays. Right. So, um, so the day he finished school for the summer, the you heard? he was finishing school, yeah. So, I mean, it was devastated. And, I mean, like, you, could, you could tell she was quite upset herself because, I mean, I obviously wasn't the only parent who she would be contacting or had contacted already, if you understand. Yes, yeah. And, and is there going uh, to be any alternative for Jamie in September if this um, class doesn't come we, back? We don't know at the moment. Um, I actually got a text message from Miss Keane Faulkner yesterday thanking me um, for my efforts. She saw the article in the examiner and um, she said the, the, the appeal continues and she'll keep you posted on any development. So, I mean, we're, we're still, it's still kind of up in the air at the moment, so we really don't know whether or not. But you do have a petition going, Simon. I do. It's, it's do you on, want to tell uh, people change, about that? Well, it's on change.org. There's, there's, there's a wee little story uh, about Jamie and the school and how he's benefited on, on it. Um, now, the, the actual uh, link for it is very long and very complicated to read mm. it out on the radio. But if you go on to www.change.org, you'll see there's three bars up on the top right-hand corner. And if you just go into the search mm-hmm. and search Save Our Life Skills Room in St. Oliver's, you can, you can click on the link that way. It's a lot easier to... And then you just sign that petition. It. Is it add your, yeah, well, add your name uh, to that? Yeah, obviously, it, have a little read of what it says. Yeah. We'd appreciate anybody sharing it or, and all that kind of stuff as well. So. Sure. So 1,400 people have signed it so well, far. Yeah, I, I think it was think. about 1,420 mm. or something this morning. So Yeah, so it's it's growing all the time. So anyone that wants... It's getting a little bit bigger, yeah. So We did have a statement in from the department about the class. We did have a statement in. You Louise, know, told me, Louise told me about this. Uh, she, she emailed me a copy. Of yes, so you've seen yeah. what they said, that they say that the special class for children with emotional behavioural disorder will close at St. Oliver's National School as it's no longer sustainable. The NCSE has explored options with the school for the designation of the special class to cater for children with other disabilities. However, to date, no agreement has been reached in relation to this. So as you say, it is still up in the air, Simon. Still up in the air, yeah. yeah. So obviously the more support we get, the better for everybody. Yes, exactly. And in the meantime, I suppose all that's left for me to say is enjoy the rest of the summer holidays with Jamie and and the best of luck to both of you and the rest of your family. And anyone that wants to have a look at the story or sign the petition can go on to www.change.org and have a look there for for that. Okay, Simon, thanks a million. Enjoy the rest of the summer. Take care. Thank you, Simon. Take care. Bye bye. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors Summer Sales Event, now on, and it's raining deals. For amazing 192 offers across the Renault and Dacia range, there's never been a better time to get a brand new drive at Blackstone Motors. 
You're very welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon. Now, I have four ladies sitting in front of me in the studio here, but I want to start the interview with a quote from the man that we're going to talk about. This is a quote from a young man called Niall Bedford. All of a sudden, I felt like a prisoner in my own body. Those are the words of Niall when he was diagnosed with MS and words which have sparked a huge fundraising campaign for him right across Drogheda to send Niall to Russia for treatment. Now in studio, I have Niall's sister-in-law Nicola, his wife Christina, his sister Grace and his mom Marie. How are you girls? All good. Good, you're relaxed now. You can just relax. You're very welcome to late lunch. So let's start with you, Christina, if that's okay, because you're Niall's wife. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like for Niall before the diagnosis? What type of a fellow? Um, Niall loved life he loved um, he was working hard um, loved spending time with his family he loved the gym he loved being out just outdoors he was just so full of life What did he work at? He worked in in Rhode Island he was a plate layer Oh so he had a very physical yeah. physical job yeah. and before his diagnosis he was out there living life and That's did, it yeah loving life Yeah. and what symptoms did he have in the beginning? Um, he used to be working nights so um, he started noticing when he'd go to bed his legs would be um, jumping and uh, just jumping out of nowhere so he, he put a lot of it down to him doing nights that he was just overtired and that and he'd be getting a lot of pains in his head and just feeling tired and stuff so um, he kept that, kept going with work, kept going with, with life until he woke up one day and the power completely went in one of his arms. Uh, no sensation, no power, no nothing. So, What did um, he think at the time? Can you remember what you thought at the time? Um, we thought like a trapped nerve or something yeah. like that because he, he's a young man he, like, and he was a big chap. He was I- into weights and he looked physically. How old healthy. is Niall? He's 40 now. He was okay. 32 when okay. he was um, diagnosed. Okay, so that must have been just very frightening for you when you didn't have a clue what was going on. It was very scary. We weren't prepared for the diagnosis. We definitely weren't. It was such a shock. Nobody thinks that, do they? They think, like you say, trapped nerve or he's tired or he's wrecked. Can I hop across to his mom here, Marie? Can can you just tell me a little bit about what you thought when he was complaining of these symptoms? Yes, just like uh, Christina I had been saying for about three months before he was diagnosed, he hadn't looked well because he was a fine lad. And he, as Christina said, he was always into the gym, into his walking. He was a very healthy living, good, healthy living. And um, you could see he just didn't look well. And I thought it was the nights. I thought those nights, night walk is killing you. It is. So, you know, would you not try and get back to days? Mm. but it actually was the MS like he was very healthy didn't smoke would be a very never smoked would be a very social drinker because they're three young children so they wouldn't have been they wouldn't have been uh, going out that much anyway yeah, you know yeah. so um and then you got this devastating Devastating, devastating. And uh, I suppose a lot of people nowadays, when they get a diagnosis, you Google it, don't you? Yeah. You, you go online and, and, and Grace, did you have a look then and, and see? Um, I work in the hospital, so I was working the day that they came into MAU. And um, I'll never forget, it was Dr. Hatunik actually at the time that diagnosed him. But before diagnosis, they were querying whether it was motor neuron or multiple sclerosis. So obviously there was relief there when it was MS because, you know, it doesn't decrease your quality. Oh, it decreases your quality of life, but it doesn't decrease your lifespan. And right. it was a bit of a relief. But at the same time, I don't think any of us processed it. No. 
I think we're actually only processing it now. Like, really? Yeah. We're s- seven years on, Nicola. Like, it, has it been a huge thing to come to terms with? Well, it has because for the first time, when when you find out, you're like, well, we were delighted that it wasn't the molten urine, but then when you find out that it's MS, you kind of have to educate yourself on it because as much as you might have hearing about MS and stuff until it directly happens to someone in your family, you're not really yeah. aware of all the side effects and the different things and how ill he's going to be and you know if he has a relapse and stuff like that so the whole family has to learn haven't you Mm, yeah Yeah. i mean everything changes doesn't it i I presume we're seven years on now so christina how have things changed in your you're married to the man how with children how does it how has it changed in your home oh massively like um niles like he still feels so strong inside like Mm. but his he his body has literally given up and i'm like he's suffers really bad with fatigue and with pains in his head and just a constant battle every day like he he just feels like his body has given up on him it's very hard to watch because he is such a strong man mentally and he's Mm. like such a good man it's hard it's hard to watch him deteriorate and we hear about MS all the time and and you'll hear about people who have been diagnosed with MS Mm. but I mean none of us really know what it's like on a day-to-day basis seven years ago diagnosed and now seven years on was it a very gradual any of you guys can hop in here with it and answer was it gradual Christina definitely very gradual Niall he did he he went downhill uh, drastically um, within a year or two he had to give up so much like we we had a big gym built out the back he he had to just get rid of it sell everything had to stop he used to do running had to stop running he can just about get the odd little walk in um, Mm. the odd time like his whole life is different like even little things to go out the front of the house and kick the ball with the child he has to be having a good day to do that yeah like you know yeah. what I mean it, it's it's so hard on him and that's why with this stem cell treatment it's going to give him a chance of getting some sort of quality of life back Well let's talk about this stem cell treatment because I have a big press release on it here and it's called short version of it is HSCT and I believe it gives a 90 to 95% success rate in halting the disease progression is that right Grace would you like to yeah, take that up um, and explain to us a little bit about this and how you found out about this treatment so just basically on a Facebook forum I was on um, I did apply for Nile for this treatment three years ago in Sheffield but unfortunately they didn't accept them it's only clinical trials going on over there at the minute so I was just on a forum around Christmas time and I happened to stumble across, across a girl that had um, put up her brother had undergone this in Russia. So I got in contact with her, started researching it. And I think I researched it for a good three months before I actually brought it to the family because I wanted to make sure. That make sure, yeah. I didn't want to give him false hope. Yeah, of course. So the type he has is relapse remit MS. So it is 90 to 95% success rate for it. And um, and it's a type of stem cell treatment yeah, only in Russia. Cell. We're talking about Russia. Yeah, it's Russia that he'll go to. They do do it in different countries, but the success rate um, in Mexico isn't as good as Russia. There's been more fatalities there. And okay. I think Dr. Fedorenko in Russia, he's been doing it for over 17 years. So he's the most... And what does it involve, Grace? Do you know? It says here it'll be very intense. He'll spend between up to 40 days in hospital. There's chemotherapy involved, isolation wards. Yeah, so... So it's a tough road. Yeah, it'll be between 30 to 40 days in the hospital, just depending on how he gets on at the start. They start um, stem cell mobilisation on the fifth day. And that basically is certain drugs are caused to move the stem cells from his bone marrow into his blood. So when they have enough stem cells collected, they will harvest them at sub-zero temperatures. Then he will undergo invasive chemo. 
then after that the stem cells will be reinfused back into his body but then he will be in isolation for at least 14 days and then hopefully on day 30 we can get to bring him home but things can run over to day 40 depending on how long it takes to collect enough yeah. of the stem cells some se- some people get it done in 3 days and others it takes like 5, 6 you but know, you won't care once this no, once, once you no. have hope and light yeah. at the end of the tunnel for this exactly, it must yeah. be wonderful to hear about that Marie that there is something for your son Absolutely. And as Grace said, she kept it all to herself. But when she did come out and tell us, it was like just a, a new light. Like winning the lotto. A new light for it us. Again, it did. It was mm. better than winning w- winning the lotto. But we probably do need to win the lotto to fund this. Yes. So well, <laughs> that's <laughs> the big problem. <laughs> when, we, when we move on to that. So there is a fundraising campaign for him. Yeah, tell was. us about that, girls. We've kind of, the family have got together, both um, our family, the Bedfords and Christina's family, um, her brothers and her sister and all that. We've all got together and we have another committee. We literally have so many events planned. We have an Oscar show and the training is starting for that on Monday night. And we have 130 people that signed up to do that. And the show will be on in September in the TLT. Oh, brilliant. So the tickets okay. are on sale for that now. 21st um, of September. <laughs> we Good also woman. have a white collar boxing event that we've teamed up with Declan Browning and he's going to give us a hand to do that. That'll be happening in November. And we've skydiving. We've oh gosh, um, who's yeah. doing the skydiving? None of us. None of you. <laughs> <laughs> we have, we've actually had thirty people signed up to do the skydiving. But none of you are doing it. No, no. Well, my brother's doing it. Nas brother. No, I wouldn't have, either. Uh, my son and his girlfriend. Uh, really, yeah, they're going to do it. There's loads. It's a big family event. A big family event. You know what? In all honesty, Drada has is an amazing town to gather together when you are yes. trying to do fundraising and stuff. The response we've had so far has been amazing. Um, the basic cost of this is €60,000. So that's what you need to raise. Yeah, but anything yeah. over that course would be marvellous because you yeah. don't know how long you're going to be staying in Russia. Well, that's it. You he know. could be there for four weeks and he could be there for six weeks. We really yeah. don't know. So until, let's yes. put the word out there that the basic cost of this is 60 grand. That's what we need to raise for this for Niall to have this treatment to save his life, to change his life, to change all of your lives. Yes. Yes. So tell us a little bit more then. So all these events are happening from September. Is September the first one? that's happening no, or have you more we've in the summer got, tonight we have a poker night up in the railway bar oh sure look at, talk know, to me about that so much <laughs> tomorrow night we have Rapscallion they're doing um, they're a local band that they do Irish music isn't it yeah and they're doing it in the Trinity Quarter what's the girl's name Bernie Bernie, Bernie my friend of mine this Bernie girl. has arranged all this she's absolutely she's fantastic yeah. she's so brilliant Bernie, a brilliant so girl great so <laughs> that's all kicking off tonight yes. and tomorrow night we've um Amy Conroy is doing um, a master class in the West Court on Sunday, Sunday afternoon as well. So we look forward to that. So we have well. actually we've got events planned every single week, but our major big events would be the, the night at the Oscars and yeah. um, the white collar boxing. Yeah. Yeah. So these are going to be hard to keep track of. So where can people look? <laughs> is there one website or is there one pl- well, Facebook we have page? A Facebook page. Brilliant. Niall um, Stems for Hope. That's the name of our page. We've an Instagram. It's Nile Stems for Hope. Nile well. Stems for Hope. Okay, yeah. and that's on Facebook and, yeah, Instagram. and Instagram. Okay, yeah. so, so people can have a look at that. We on that to keep everyone updated with all the events upcoming and the GoFundMe link is also on 
those pages too lovely we have got buckets and we've like these you know the orange yeah, bands nice. and all that around the town so just <laughs> See to make that? people aware that they yeah. know what it is when they go into shops yeah to thank everyone so far because we've a gofundme page and we have raised over the ten thousand so far and brilliant you know yeah. in the first few weeks so it's been an amazing response so we okay. really want to thank everyone 10 down 50 to go girls yeah, the do, best of luck do. best of luck and thank thanks a million for coming thanks in and so the best of luck to Niall and I hope it all goes well for you anybody out there have a look on Facebook Niall Stems for Hope and on Instagram as well and support this if you can thanks a million ladies thank, thank you. you take thank care you. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors Summer Sales Event. Get low as can be APR, zero deposit and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. And you're very welcome back to Late Lunch this afternoon. Now, the second clue in our golf competition, because to coincide with this week's Open Championship in Royal Port Rush, Halpenny Golf on the M1 Retail Park in Drogheda have given us some fantastic prizes to give away every day this week on Late Lunch. And today being the last day of it, we have two prizes. We have a four ball for Donabate Golf Club and a four ball for Beaverstown Golf Club. Now, it's a bit of a who am I quiz. The first clue I gave you was I call Clara home. The second one is coming now. It's though an amateur, I won big in 2009. All your guesses can come by text or WhatsApp to 086-1800-658 and we'll choose two winners at the end of the show. Now, sitting across from me in studio today, I have two fine gentlemen because the fly in Drogheda is just around the corner and a local group has a new song just for the occasion. Now, to tell us all about it, I have in studio Andrew and Stephen from the Electric Wednesdays. How are you, lads? Thank you. Thanks for having us. Not a bother at all. So the song, tell me a little bit about it, because I heard it for the first time today. And the FLA, of course, there's great excitement. It's all the town is gearing up for it next month. But tell us a little bit more about the song. Um, it's, you, you know, the Dropkick Murphys, a mm. uh, band from America, um, have their version uh, shipping up to Boston. So we just thought, you know, some of us come from a sailing background um, that we'd record a song called Shipping Up to Drogheda just for the FLA. Exactly, yeah, just simple. especially for it. And yeah. I saw the video. The video is gas. Yeah, the video is great. Yeah, very happy with it. Tell me yeah. a bit about that. How you went to make it and, 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 and where it was well, all filmed. And I, I suppose the first thing was to try and get Brian Connolly to produce it because he is from that area. He loves that area. Some of his photography from that area is absolutely amazing. So it was, I was really keen to get Brian to produce it. I knew he'd come up with the results that he did. Uh, mm. So that was the first thing. Getting Brian on board, pardon the pun, uh, <laughs> was uh, yeah the first thing. We got it recorded really quickly by Mark Carl in, um, in Fenner Lane Studios in Slane so it all came together within a week because you know you know these kind of songs they're for a particular time frame yeah of course and, and this is just for the month of August and for the fly and I think people in Drogheda might really like it The people in Drogheda now might be familiar with this boat the Pegasus because it is moored down there on the river most of the time is it still there Just Stephen will you tell me a bit about this Pegasus Oh Pegasus was conceived in about 83 and launched in 91 Pascal McGuffin, a local mechanical engineer, built it in his So it's yard. a steel boat? It's a steel boat. It's possibly the first steel boat that was made in Drogheda since 1878, mm. I believe, mm-hmm. when the mouse was made on the, the site of where Scotch Hall is now. Oh, okay. So is the Pegasus usually moored down there? Pegasus is moored constantly just off the new uh, Fiddlecase Pier. Okay, and tell me a little bit about this boat and its journeys. I believe it's been all around the world. Ah, uh, it's had a little bit of a history, all right. Um, its biggest trip was back in 2009 when we were lucky enough to get the chance to take it across the Atlantic. And Who went uh, on that? You were on that trip. There was four of us on that trip. Um, Pascal McGuffin, the 
captain and a builder, myself, Donna Quigley, and another chap whose name eludes me at the moment. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what size is the Pegasus? How big is it? It's, I'm just trying it, to picture this boat going it, across the Atlantic. It's now 51 feet. It was Ooh. 47 feet. It's now 51. Yes, it How grew. So, it grew. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, ten years ago, he took it out of the water and he chopped 12 feet off it and put 16 back on. Oh, right. Okay, why? Can I ask why? Uh, to, to make it sail better. He, oh, okay. he changed the shape of reason. the front of the boat. Ah, okay. But now, 51 feet sounds huge when it's moored in the river in, in Drada, but it's not when it's out in the Atlantic. Uh, How was that journey? Hairy it, at times? We had a bit of fun on the way out, and it was easy coming home, yeah. We oh, got, really? We got a little bit battered going out. Did you? And you went to Iceland as well? We went to Iceland previous to that trip as well, yeah. The Azores? The Azores, Madeira. yeah. Several times Madeira was nice. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, I was in Madeira myself last year, yeah. Beautiful island, but I, would, I can't I would, imagine sailing there. I wouldn't like to be landing an aircraft there. Oh, yeah, that was scary. Now, yeah, I probably would probably prefer to arrive in Madeira by boat than aircraft. Yeah, that was scary because they go out, do a big loop and come in on this. The, the runway is suspended on steel um, legs. Girders, oh, yeah, yeah. In, in the sea. Yeah, that, that wow. wasn't. Uh, yeah, I covered on the side my eyes. of a mountain. On the side of a mountain. Yeah, it's a hairy one. Yeah, I didn't enjoy that too much. Anyway, tell us a little bit more um, about your taking part in the FLA and all the excitement coming up to that. Yeah, well, we... Um we, we were headlining the main stage like last year. We had a fantastic yeah. time last year um, on the Monday evening. Um, uh, on the Monday evening. Um, so this this flower, we're actually coming as two guys. This, on the on the Monday night, we're coming as our typical, the, the Wednesday gang, which is a lot more traditional yeah. to suit the stage. And then as the week goes on, we're going to kind of plug things in a bit, as this song might suggest. So um, you can catch us on the main stage uh, on Monday, um, the 12th of August. You can catch us in JB's um, on Wednesday, the 14th. Um, then we're in the Trinity Quarter, the 15th, and we are in uh, the Cayley Picnic on the 16th. So yeah. there's a busy, busy month but ahead that's a busy for the week, whole yeah, of Yeah, and I'd like to actually say that you can catch us in Dremin on uh, Bank Holiday Sunday, East, uh, yeah, Bank Holiday Sunday, August uh, 4th at 7 o'clock. That should be good. So this song, we're going to play out this interview with this mm. song now. So it, it's the tune was shipping up to Boston originally by, mm-hmm. as you say, the Dropkick Murphys. So who wrote this then? Who, who changed the words and how long did it take you? And it must have been great crack. It took about three minutes, but it was great crack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's not too many words in this song. No, no, yeah. there's not. I watched the video earlier on and it looks like great crack and it sounds oh, like great brilliant. crack. Yeah. So lads, thanks a million and we're going to play out with the yeah. song. And thank so you very much. You are very us. welcome. Best of luck with the flan. and enjoy it. Thank, thank you. Thank Take you. care. Bye, lads.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors for exclusive 192 offers on all things Renault and Dacia and the full Renault commercial van range. Get down to Blackstone Motors showrooms in Dundalk or Drogheda today. Well, my next guest is a man who this year is celebrating 10 years in the business of helping people to get over their fear of flying and to even enjoy the experience of getting on a plane and heading off somewhere nice. Michael Common from Fly Fearless joins me in studio this afternoon. You're very welcome to Late Lunch, Michael. Hello, Joan. Lovely to talk to you. How are you? Lovely to see you again. Can I start for people who don't know much about you, asking you about your own interest in aviation, in flying and where that oh, began? Well, that goes back even longer than the 10 years because back in the late 70s, I was Ireland's youngest pilot and uh, got a pilot's licence at the age of 16. Um, and it was always one of those things that I, I you know, I suppose because my father also worked in aviation, had a huge interest in it. And about uh, 11, 10 years ago, obviously we, we is our birthday, but 11 years ago I was looking at, um, at the time I, I had already trained in the area of dealing with anxiety as a therapist and managing people who had anxiety. And I just decided to put the two of them together. And and there we are, 10, 10 years later, three and a half thousand people have been through our hands. And, you know, we... Um, 
We we enjoy it hugely. Uh, it's it's important to to understand, I suppose, that you know one in six people in Ireland will have an anxiety about flying at some stage in their lives. That's what I was going to say to you. Yeah. How did you come to realise from dealing with people with anxieties about all sorts of things to say your love of flying as well? You must have come yeah. across people then who are just petrified. Well, it, it's true because one of the things that, uh, somebody who will never be any help to you at all with the fear of flying is a pilot because they just yeah. he or she will just look at you and go, "Why do you not love what I love, and why yeah. are you not as passionate about it as I?" I do. But one of the things I suppose we've been able to draw over the, you know, over the 10 year period is to be able to see that there's a, a common pattern and a common thread uh, to, to why somebody gets anxious. We rarely, I mean rarely now in 10 years have seen somebody who's never flown. Right. OK. Yeah. So there's no, like there's no point. Yeah. To, I don't even encourage people to, to come on the programme because if you if you haven't done it, then what are you afraid of? You don't know what you're afraid of. What we will often see is a person who's been flying for years. You know, they could have been 10, 15 years flying mm. around the world, Bangkok, the whole lot. Mm. And then over a period of time, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Well, it must come from a bad experience, maybe a turbulent flight or something, was it? It's a trigger. So the, yeah, the you trigger. know, I, I always say, you know, you'll come off that flight and say, I'll never fly again. But the other 176 people all go home and have their tea and go, go to work the next day. I've done that. Yeah. Yeah. So like, mm. why would you be affected? Whereas everybody else is grand with the same experience. And it actually comes down to, you know, we hear a lot of the talk about the idea of resilience these days. But if we ourselves are in, in any way in a low, a vulnerable state, then we're likely more prone to become anxious. So the model I always talk to people about is hungry, angry, lonely, tired or vulnerable. Right. So if, you know, I could run an entire course for people who developed a fear of flying after a hen or a stag party. Oh, right. OK, because they were feeling the worst for they way before they got on the plane. And, once, and when you get on the plane or if you've, if you've, if you've had a recent bereavement, if you uh, have flying after, uh, you know, a uh, uh, honeymoon is actually now for the trigger as well. Um, you, you know, anything where you've been on the aeroplane and you felt very vulnerable and very low, then what happens is a tiny little part of our brain without getting too deep into the neuroscience called the amygdala. And its job is to look for differences. Okay. And now two kinds of people in the world. One, when they see something different, they're curious about it. And the other kind of person, when they experience something different, assumes it's dangerous. OK. Mm-hmm. And they're the people we see on the programme. You know, I, I've over the, the time um, interviewed a lot of our, our, our um, participants and I've discovered a little thing. I d- and I don't know if this applies to you. You think back to it. But do you remember when you were a child, if there was a thunder and lightning storm. Yeah. What happened in your house? Um, nothing really. I loved it. Yeah. Well, there you go. For a lot of people, what happened was, you know, the curtains were closed, the television was plugged out, the phone was plugged out, there were <laughs> towels put over mirrors because apparently that attracted lightning. And people got onto the kitchen table and the rosary was out. Our dog used to get into the dishwasher. Well, there you go. <laughs> but the point is, you know, that made people assume that anything different is dangerous. Yeah. And I remember thinking back to, you know, my own father, when there was a lightning storm would bring us upstairs, sit up in the bed, open the curtains, watch the storm and count the difference between the time between the bangs and the flashes. Yeah. And so yeah. if you think about it, you know, as we are in life, if we see something different as a curious thing, so if we get a bump in an aeroplane, we go, oh, that's interesting. Whereas if we tend to see things as different as dangerous, we go, oh, my God. It's, a it's bump true. in an airplane. I would never. I would never sit there and go. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I would. <laughs> would you? Because I know what it have is. Have you been on a really turbulent? Flight? Because you're a trained well, pilot. Yeah, but absolutely, I have. But like you've been on awful flights. But I know what is happening, and I also know that you know, like the, 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 the turbulence does not affect the airplane. It does affect the people. Like about an average between seventeen to thirty people a year are injured in turbulence mm-hmm. around the world. Mm-hmm. And you know what the biggest cause of injury is? Scalding. Oh, because they spill their coffee. And, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. it. It's not like, oh, you know, the, the end of the world's coming. So what it is, is that you have, uh, you know, you have rough air, 
you have a bit of turbulence. I, I said to somebody the other day, I was on, I was on a, a bus in Dublin, the 46A, and I was trying to get out of my seat and down the stairs before my stop. And the turbulence was wretched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always tried to think of it as that, as like potholes in the sky. It's no different. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I often say to people, if you think that, you know, often people think that there's the air is invisible and there's nothing on you. Mm. But air is different thicknesses. So if you're flying from, you know, consomme soup into thick chicken uh, country vegetable soup, that's what turbulence is. You're going from thick to thin and thin to thin. But the, the pilots can. always anticipate it. Can you see it ahead? Because 90% of the time they can, yeah. The, the incident recently where the people all hit their heads on the roof of the fuse. They didn't have the seatbelts on. Yeah, so they were standing up. Yeah. But they yeah, should have been yeah. in their seats. They should have been in their seats. The yeah, you're, in a, you're in a moving vehicle going at 600 miles an hour, you know, and, and I suppose because on one hand, the airlines like to market the idea that you're sitting in a hotel foyer, you know, for, yeah. for 12 hours going mm-hmm. somewhere. You, you actually do have to mind yourself as well. And have you ever been scared on a flight? Yes. Has there ever been an incident to the house? Absolutely, yeah. I was sitting on the airplane and I saw a person getting on with a very loud screaming baby heading <laughs> towards me and they sat down beside me and I thought, oh my God, this is the worst thing that That's happened. That's not what I was asking I you, I know Michael. it's not what you're asking you, but I have to tell you, by the way, I made great pals with a little kid and we had a great trip in the end of it, to, to be fair. Uh, and the, <laughs> Everybody and the dreads that. Of course they do. You see the my crying point baby. Is, is that, mm. no, there's, I know what's happening in an airplane. So, you know, I, my trust is in the crew and in what's going on. So no, I don't sit there. But now, I have to be fair, everybody who gets on an airplane for 10 seconds is nervous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then what they do is they kind of rationalise it and put it to one side. If you only fly twice a year in your holidays or something like that, guess what? You know, for three, like I talk to people who are for three weeks before their flight, they're anxious. Yeah. And then they're anxious for the three days before they come home. Yeah. And it ruins the holiday. What it is they think is going to happen, I don't know. Because they're the same people who would, you know, be quite reckless about how they drive or how they, or what they eat or what they, what they do, but not necessarily when it comes to the flying side But of speaking of driving, they say that flying is safer than driving. It's hard to rationalise that in yeah, your head don't though, try, isn't it? Don't try. I, I've, I've, after 10 years, I'll say to you that you'll exhaust yourself trying to apply logic to emotion. Okay. Because, you know, everybody says, oh, that. I know it's safe and I know it's not logical. All you're doing is exhausting yourself because it's it's a completely different part of the brain that is reacting to this. And as I said, it's very easy for somebody to say, oh, you know, you're five times more dangerous than traveling to the airport or, you know, mm. you have to fly. Apparently, the statistic is you've got to fly every day for 147 years for 24 hours a day to have a 14 percent chance of being in an accident. OK. And w- but that doesn't matter. No, it doesn't it matter doesn't because matter. when you get on that really aircraft not. and exactly. your brain takes over, you, there's no talking to you and I've been that soldier exactly. I used to yeah. be like that and when yeah. you mentioned honeymoon we won't even go there because I wouldn't get in I wouldn't get in the door of the aircraft my poor new husband was mortified I know. and one of the cabin crew had to hold my hand he had to go down and sit on the floor beside me and yeah. since then I fulfilled a lifelong dream as we were talking about off air and I trained mm. as cabin crew and I yeah. worked for Aer Lingus and the training with cabin crew completely well cured. that's what we do on the training is completely we do the equivalent to give you the, uh, as much insight and as much information as what's happening around you and we bring into a flight simulator later and we do that you yeah. meet pilots and you work you know we work through that um, mm. and we don't chastise people for, for you know for being silly or being irrational and in fact we invite coaches to come along the programme as well that's somebody you travel with who isn't afraid of flying and we teach them very much what not to say including like you're making a show of me I'm never flying with you again and I'm mortified you know? <laughs> so we show them how to help and weirdly enough it's not about actually comforting you so if I'm flying with you and I start to comfort you and stroke the back of your hand and say, you'll be fine, you'll be grand, your brain hears something bad is happening and this person is being really kind to me. Yeah, of course. So that's not what we do. We say, OK, look around. Who else is anxious? 
what else what's everybody else doing you know and getting you back online to re- to realizing what's going well, on well do you know what i have a willing victim for ah, a bit of hand stroking next door here <laughs> my my producer louise is absolutely petrified and she's going on holiday in a few weeks time so we excellent. have to take a break now but she's going to come in and join us after the break if that's all right with you michael i look forward to that lovely stuff talk to you in a couple of minutes the Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors, setting the standards higher for award-winning customer service you can trust. Visit your regional dealer for Renault and Dacia in the Northeast for exclusive offers with lowest can be APR finance and finance arranged within four hours. Dare to live? You're very welcome back to Late Lunch. We're chatting here with Michael Common from Fly Fearless. And now my lovely producer Louise has joined us in studio. How are you, girl? I am actually anxious. Eating coming in here. <laughs> There's a month till her holiday, Michael, and she's terrified. And you're already yeah. fretting yeah, about it. Yeah. Actually, my heart is fluttering. Yeah. Even thinking of yeah. it. With the thoughts well, it's a really it. interesting thing because basically what happens for you at the moment is that if you look back at the human brain and how brilliant it is, it has one little weakness, and that is that it cannot distinguish between excitement and fear. And okay. so because you're doing something which is possibly exciting, at the moment you're interpreting it as fear. And that's a very basic idea about it. Because if you think about it, like you're not going to court, are you? No. No, you're not going, you know, you're going on your holidays. And yeah. so that should be something that's relaxing and enjoyable. And But it's also something that's different and there's a bit of stress associated with it as well. And if there's anything different happens on the aeroplane, like you'll probably spend the entire flight watching the cabin crew's faces all the time. You know, looking is that at what you do? I look down. Yeah. I'd actually look at my feet and if I had yeah. rosary beads the last time I would have used them. Yeah. But what, what was happening was is that you were having a conversation in your own head as against looking around you to see how everyone else was doing. Like what was everyone else doing on that flight? I couldn't even look, look at my kids. Yeah. Our kids were asking questions. And yeah. Like, and you don't be talk quiet. To me. Don't talk to me. Exactly. Yeah. I know. I know. And you're transmitting this onto your kids then. You're oh, well, that's, oh, no, that's another fine. thing. Yeah. yeah. Do they do they get your fear? They say mommy's afraid. They laugh at me. Oh, they laugh at you. Yeah. That's good. Good. Yeah. yeah. But it never... <laughs> I, I was in flew to Sri Lanka, Australia. Yeah, well, that's, that's I was just saying that to Joan earlier on because you know the the person we see is typically been flying for years. Yeah. But then at some point there was a flight where you were vulnerable and you were either tired or hungry or angry or some in some way, or basically what happened was there was a stimulus, something like a bit of turbulence or an unusual noise, and at that very minute you kind of the equivalent hypnotized yourself into this by by telling yourself something strange was happening. And it's amazing. I was in, I remember a flight home from Scotland years ago, even before I was married. And the whole airplane filled up with smoke. And we were kind of Ooh. grounded, you know, mm. we, we hadn't left at that stage. But that was fine. I laughed. There was big, burly rugby players singing away. And when that happened, they went so quiet. <laughs> and, they went quiet. And it was very, very interesting as you describe that. That actually happens quite a lot, but it's not smoke. It's actually air conditioning. Is it? And, right. and you remember yes, this I've if you were that. flying, you'd see it actually. Yeah. It looks like smoke coming out of the yeah. air conditioning. And there's that story that you've been ha- carrying for a long, long time in but your I head through. as a fact. No problem. But the point is, is that it can be something else happening. And when you know what's happening, yeah. that's, you see, every single person, and only one person said to me on the phone last night, I want to be in control. And I said, well, like, yeah. what, what do you want to do? Fly the plane? And what? Yes. Well, you can't. Yeah. Okay. So in this particular case, you've got to let the professionals do their job. And the one thing you can be in control of is yourself. Do you find that, Louise? Like, do you say, oh, no, I want to be up there. I want to see what they're at. I want no, to see what they're doing. Yeah. No, not at all. But it's just, and somebody said to me, it's because you've had kids that you just feel yeah, that's, there's nothing there. you can do if anything happens. Yeah. But I had a child and I flew no problem. It was only when the second child came along. Mm. that I just developed this fear and I don't know whether it was because I what didn't fly for three years because she didn't sleep so we thought well no point in paying a load of money to be wrecked yeah, yeah. Um, 
and I, I don't know, but literally got on an airplane. Well, as I said, terrified. with, with 3,500 people through the programme, I can tell you there's nearly 3,500 reasons why people get okay. are anxious about it. I mean, 92% uh, of the people come out of it the other side okay. Um, and we've about 8%, this is based on research we had done about halfway through, tell us that they, they don't change. And that's understandable because people can have anxiety about a lot of things mm. and flying is just the trigger. Mm. Um, and, you know, one of the things that's really important and I encourage people to do it is you know, one, never borrow medication. We did some research that showed 40% of fly fearless participants had borrowed medication from a granny or granddad or from an yeah. aunt or uncle. Yeah. Don't do that. Get it from your doctor if you're going to do it and follow the prescription. Or go and talk to somebody because, you know, you could find that there's other things, other reasons to be anxious as well. Mm, yeah, I guess yeah, so. There's loads of different reasons. Yeah, yeah, but there's loads of different reasons why people can be anxious. Like I'm a bit like Louise. When I'm travelling on my own and I fly a lot, mm. I, I really don't care. I really yeah. don't care what happens. But if my kids, and my kids are grown up now, but if they're with me, I'm anxious again. I'm even a little bit anxious. I wouldn't say to you that uh, that's unusual. I would think that a lot of people who, who wouldn't even describe themselves as having a fear of flying yeah. will have an anxiety about travel. You know, I don't know if you've ever in every couple there's one person who wants to be at the airport four minutes before the flight and there's another who wants to be there four days beforehand. <laughs> yeah. And most relationship rows I reckon happen at airports because it's not <laughs> nice. It's stressful. It is stressful. It, and travelling with kids is stressful. So you think that for Louise, travelling with three young kids, that she'd be so tied up with being so stressed over trying to make sure they've forgotten nothing, that she'd forget about her own fear. But how are you going to be in four weeks' time? I'm terrified. She's terrified Again, even listen to the language that you're using. There are a lot of things in the world to be terrified of. Mm. And one of them is not flying in a professionally operated aeroplane from a professionally operated airline who have a safety record that is, you know, uh, remarkable. So, you know, it it is about you just calibrating it back into what it is you're doing and what's, what's unusual, what's different. And if you spend more time looking around you how everyone else is reacting and calibrating yourself to the reactions of everybody around you. I have this very weird thing I, I say, it's sort of uh, an unusual thing to say, Joan, but it's like if everyone else in the aeroplane is screaming, join in. Yeah, of because course. Because something yeah, bad's happening. Well. Something bad's happening. But yeah. that's not what has somebody anxious because they're sitting in their own little world with their head down while everybody else is absolutely fine. And I understand why that is. That's basically because the person is having a stress reaction rather than a fear reaction. And what do you think is the fear? Do people come to you and say, I'm terrified? And you say, what are you afraid of? Is it crashing? Does everyone say I'm afraid of crashing? Incredibly rare. Incredibly. Really? Yeah, mo- everybody knows. Like if, you, if you're trying to pick a way to leave the world, <laughs> it is one of the most exclusive things, uh, you know, o- options that are there. Um, that's not what it is. And I think people will tell you that very, very quickly. You know, you, we have some people who become obsessed with air crash investigation programmes. And that's mm-hmm. just data gathering. That's just the person looking for as much information as they possibly can. No, the, the truth of it is, is that you, you become stressed. And I, it's one of the opening lines I have on the programme is I say to people, look, you're not here because you're afraid. You're here because you're stressed. Right, okay. And, and in that very moment, some people figure they're sorted because it's the recognition, because fear is debilitating. There's no man or woman wants to admit they're afraid of anything. No. But boy, oh boy, can we recognise that we've become stressed by something. Absolutely. Yeah. And a very simple thing, I'm sure you know this going back, but stress is about fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And for a lot of people, that flight means I'm not going on the flight. It just means that they'll avoid it if they possibly can. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who fly then with drugs or alcohol in order to get them through it and they're miserable and they, they, they then get come off it even worse. 
And then there's people, as I said, who will, you know, go but be miserable for the whole thing. So they're, they're kind of three categories altogether. And that flight then is endless when you're sitting there with your fists clenched and you're balled up in this yeah. ball of anxiety. There, there was a cabin it's, crew member said to me the other day about uh, the New York flight, you know, leaves it late at night and flies across the Atlantic and they feed everybody, turn up the heat, turn down the lights and everyone has a nice sleep. Mm. But there's the duty warrior is holding the aeroplane up by the armrests all the way across the Atlantic. Yeah, that and used to be me. Somebody in row 14 or 15 holding up the, arm, yeah. the aeroplane by its arm, looking left and right all the way across the Atlantic. I've never slept on a plane. I can't do it. What, would you, what are you doing? What, what do you plan? to do. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. What do I yeah. plan to do? Yeah, yeah, be the one that's awake. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm grand now. I'm going to Boston now in, in September. It's a lovely trip. I, yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks very much. No, it is. It's actually quite a nice flight, actually. Yeah, too. and yeah. it's not yeah. that yeah. long, so it's fine. But I mean, I remember a terrible flight from Dubai one time and we were on a 777 aircraft and... Mm-hmm. One of the uh, safest aircraft ever built. Thank you. Uh, the turbulence over the mountains coming from Dubai was insane. Yeah. It was actually terrifying. But do you know how much an airplane drops in turbulence? Uh, go on, tell me. About two to three feet max. Is that all? Yeah. Gosh, it feels like but two to three hundred. No, that would break your neck you know, or cause serious injury. The, the, the small drops are done, though, at five or six hundred miles an hour. And so there's a huge mm. displacement. And if you ever put your hand out the window of a car at 20 miles an hour, you know how strong the air yeah, feels. Yeah. Imagine that at 600 miles an hour, mm. you like concrete. And that's why you get where, where it comes from. So for the likes of Louise now or anybody else out there, we're right into the middle of the summer season. So mm. how, how do they get in touch with you? And I know you're pretty busy. We, we are actually. Up. We have a waiting list for most of our programmes. So it's, uh, uh, you know, flyfearless.ie is the website. And, and if you have a look, you'll find us there. I mean, the most important thing really for people who haven't got a chance to get on a programme before they go away is be good to yourself. Take out, take that critical voice out of your head. Stop giving out to yourself. If you were uh, helping somebody else, you would be a little bit more helpful and a bit more supportive. If your partner has a fear of flying and you don't, again, don't overly, uh, you know, nurture them and encourage them. But mm. do ask them lots of questions. And a very quick fix for a lot of people is replace the fear with curiosity. So when you hear a sound, ask the cabin crew. Or if you, uh, you know, there's, what's, what's that noise? You know, there's, there's, this, there's this thing called the growling monkey and an Airbus, you know, which is the hydraulic system. And yeah. Like, oh, what's that? As soon as you ask, you tell people what it is, you know, and, and be curious, chat to somebody. You won't be able to read. I can guarantee you that a nervous passenger will read the same sentence 15 times over. Yeah. But you know what works really well? Okay, Is what? doing maths in your head. Oh, God, really? Yeah, the 19 times tables. There's no ah, way. Ah, Michael. <laughs> I could put I could put money on this one for you because if you're doing maths, your brain can't do two things, regardless of what we know about women being able to multitask. It is you just can't do the two, and it's so funny because I've done this with people. I said, "Okay, start the nineteen times table there for me," and, and, and they go, "Where, where, where?" And straight away you can't do it. Anyway, I even begin to I'm only sort of giving you a little yeah. taste of the thing. Rather than it's actually a full day program runs from ten o'clock to four, okay. so there's quite a lot in it rather yeah. than just giving you a couple of quick tips off the top. But you're booked up for August. You do have some. Yeah, next one's left. in September. It's September seventh, actually. Okay, one, so yeah. it's flyfearless.ie. So mm. anybody out there terrified of flying, uh, this is the man for you. So go on to flyfearless.ie. Unfortunately, booked up for August, but September there are a few slots left in September. Good advice. Thank you very much for coming in. It's been lovely to see you. Prepare doors for departure, Arwen Crosscheck. Hey, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors Summer Sales Event, now on, and it's raining deals. For amazing 192 offers across the Renault and Dacia range, there's never been a better time to get a brand new drive at Blackstone Motors. Joining me on the line now is Leon Blanche from Boyle Sports. How are you, Leon? I'm doing great, Joan. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Not a bother. Another huge weekend ahead for sport with GAA action, soccer and golf. Will we kick it off with the Super 8s, Leo? 
I think we should, yeah. Look, it's a massive weekend um, up in Crow Park. We'll have eight teams, uh, obviously playing four matches. And Mead, who I thought were exceptional against Donegal for probably 55 to 56 minutes last week, they now take on Mayo. And I think this is a good opportunity for Mead because Mayo got an absolute hiding from Kerry. Mead are the underdogs at 11 to 4. I think that's quite a big price. Mayo are 4 to 11. But just looking at this Mayo team, I think they've had plenty of injuries. They've had a lot of games. And as I said, I was very impressed with Mead for about 55 to 56 minutes of that game last weekend. If they can reproduce that for the full 70 minutes in Crow Park, I think they'll give Mayo a right game of it. Kerry are facing Donegal. And this is a huge game because I think whoever wins this game will obviously win that side of the division. Um, Kerry were very impressive against Mayo. They're up against Donegal, who, as I said, were toe-to-toe with Mead, but then they pulled away in the last kind of 15 minutes of that match. But Kerry are favourites at 4-6. to six. Donegal are 13-8. to eight. Now, a lot of people fancy both of these sides as being the main challengers to Dublin in terms of winning the All-Ireland. So it's a game I'm going to watch with huge interest to see exactly where Kerry and where Donegal are at. But Donegal at 13-8, to eight, some people have said that's a big price. Tyrone are taking on Cork in the other side of the draw. This is Group 2. And Tyrone, of course, they were winners last weekend against Roscommon. They're up against Cork, who gave a good performance against Dublin for long periods of the game, but just ran out of a bit of steam against the Dubs. But Tyrone, I think this Tyrone team, they're very, very solid. They're very structured under Mickey Hart. Of course, they were losing All-Ireland finalists last year. They're 2-7. to seven. Cork are 7-2. to two. And finally, there's not much point in talking about Dublin to Roscommon because Dublin are 1-100. to 100. Yes, you've heard it right. You've got to put in €100 Euro to win one. You're not going to get rich certainly back in Dublin, but I think they'll see off Roscommon with plenty to spare. And as you said, Joan, it's a busy weekend. Dundalk, what a fantastic achievement by the Lily Whites getting through on penalties against Riga in the first qualifying round of the Champions League. They now take on Karabakh at Oriel Park on Wednesday night. They're 17-10 to 10 to win at home. Karabakh are 11-8 to 8 and the draw is 21-10. to 10. I think everyone in Ireland hopes Dundalk can keep progressing in Europe. Division 1, Drogheda, they've got a massive game away against Limerick. Drogheda are 3-4, to four. Limerick are 16-5. to five. And the draw here is 13 to 5. And I think Drogheda, if they want to maintain their push to try and get up to the Premier Division, they're going to have to get all three points away against Limerick. So Drogheda, 3 to 4 to get the win. And in the Open Championship, of course, it's happening up in Port Rush, um, up in Northern Ireland. Um, our leader is JB Holmes at 8 under. He's a 10 to 1 chance. Our favourite to win the competition is Brooks Kepke. He's 4 under par. He's a 5 to 1 favourite. From an Irish point of view, Shane Lowry, what a fantastic round by Shane yesterday. A 67, four under par. He hasn't gone out yet on day two. He's a 14 to one chance to win the Open Championship. And I'll tell you something, he has plenty of experience around Lynx courses. And if he can get a good start to round two, Shane Lowry, he won't be uh, flustered. He doesn't seem to, pressure doesn't seem to affect him. And I'd love to see Shane Lowry, the man from County Offaly, win the Open Championship. Another guy especially who plays well around Lynx courses too is Tommy Fleetwood. Um, he was born outside of Liverpool. He's played plenty of Lynx golf. He's six under at the moment and he's an eight to one chance. But a fantastic weekend of sport, Joan. Really looking forward to watching a lot of it, especially the Super 8 in Crow Park this weekend. Absolutely, Leon. Hopefully the weather clears up a little bit for all, all that sporting action. Leon, thanks a million for your time. Talk to you soon. All the best, Joan. Have a great weekend. You too. Take care. And to coincide with this week's Open Championship at the beautiful Royal Portrush Golf Club, Halpenny Golf on the M1 Retail Park in Drogheda have given us some fantastic prizes, which we've been giving away all week on late lunch. Today being Friday, we have 
two prizes. We have a four ball for Donna Bate Golf Club and a four ball for Beaverstown Golf Club. Now we're running a sort of a who am I quiz. I've given out two clues already. Here's the third. My last big win was in Abu Dhabi in January and I might just do the business again in Portrush this weekend. Who am I? You can text or WhatsApp your answers to 086 1800 658. We have to take a break now. I'll be right back after this. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors Summer Sales Event. Get low as can be, APR, zero deposit and finance arranged within four hours. There's never been a better time to get to Blackstone Motors, Dundalk, Drogheda or Cavan. And you're very welcome back to Late Lunch. Now, before I go to my final item for today, I do have to mention something that's happening this weekend, the sixth annual Whitestown Festival in aid of Avine's Pink Tie and various other local causes. It'll take place at Lily Finnegan's Bar in Whitestown in Carlingford on Sunday, the 21st of July. And I'm told there's a stellar lineup of live music on two stages from two o'clock in the afternoon until 11 o'clock. Acts performing include the Long Riders and the Ramblin' String Band and loads of others. There'll be also um, kids' activities between two o'clock and six o'clock inflatables and face painting and ice cream and there's a barbecue prosecco bar loads more the gates open there at one o'clock anyone who'd like to help out on the day or to contribute a prize or a donation can call zero four two nine three seven three seven three zero or you can email info at lilyfinnegans.com now that's happening in carlingford on sunday the 21st now did you know that your crisp packets can't be recycled well that's up to now that is i always thought they could be and i am guilty of putting the old crisp packets into the recyclable bin. A new initiative has been launched now between Oxygen and TerraCycle, which will now recycle all crisp packets that are left at Mead's recycling plants. And to tell us more, we've Christine Reynolds on the line. She's a Civic Amenity Manager for Oxygen. How are you, Christine? Hi, how are you, Joan? Thanks for having me on. Thanks a million for joining us this Um, afternoon. So tell us, I think most people wouldn't realise the crisp packets can't be recycled. And there's thousands and thousands of packets of crisps each day. There is thousands of crisp packets that end up then in the landfill. So the whole thing with TerraCycle is that we collect crisp packets at each of our sites. I post them off to TerraCycle. TerraCycle then will... um, recycle them into beads. It's like a, a plastic bead. Those beads are packed and then sent off to the likes of the, the companies that make um, outdoor furniture. So what we're really doing, I know people say that you're still making something plastic, but mm. actually what we're doing is we're taking a single-use plastic and making it a very long-use plastic. And what happens to crisp packets at the minute? Supposing you at just the throw them in the bin. they go to landfill or they end up in, um, in incineration. Because people because do think... they're not recyclable. Yeah. So you go up onto the conveyor belts and the girls at the, 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 sorting, the sorting plants sort them all out and all the crisp packets end up in, um, in the incinerator or else in landfill. So when these are recycled, then they will go on to have another life. As these what did go you want s- to have maybe a ten or twelve year life or a twenty year life? You know what I'm saying? So, yes. so therefore, we're just making something. We're, we're making it a longer rather than the single use. We're trying to get rid of single use plastic. So then, what are they made into? I, I presume that you say they're made into these little plastic beads, and then they, do they and go then on they then? Go, they go on then to the, the companies that make um, furniture, outdoor furniture. Oh, you know, right. the hard plastics are the curver box boxes, you know, the big, the, the hard plastic boxes. Oh, right. OK. And they're made into them. 
Yeah. So your garden furniture that you'll be sitting on next summer could yeah. have been your crisp bag this summer. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, OK. And are there other you initiatives know. in other parts there of are, Ireland as well? There are. There's going to be more initiatives. And before I finish on that, like the, the fact that we're recycling the crisp bags, the wonderful thing about TerraCycle, and I know that they are being sponsored by walkers, but we can still put in um, any crisp packets. It doesn't matter what Christmas packet, crisp packets you use. Please, please recycle them all. Um, but we'll be sending the funds we raise to the Mead Women's Refuge and Support Services. Oh, so wonderful. The money that comes back then is coming back to Mead again. So every we have here every two kilo box that's sent to TerraCycle yes, will yes. generate one euro. Yes, yeah. Oh, OK, yes, so two yes. kilos of... You think that's an awful lot of crisp yes. bags, Christine, it to get two kilos? Bags. Yes, it is. It is a lot of crisps. Do we know how many I mean, thousands of packets of crisps are eaten in this country every day? Thousands, absolutely thousands. I'd say. You know... I mean, it really is unbelievable. I mean, TerraCycle now have decided that what they're going to do is they're going to try and recycle everything that's not recyclable at the moment. So um, they're, they're running another scheme that they actually contacted me about this morning. It's RB Hygiene Home Recycling Programme, which is actually going to recycle all the packaging that's on wipes and refill pouches and, you know, all the brands, the liquid, liquid tabs, and you know, the liquid, yeah. liquid um, washing pouch Yeah washing powders, all these refillable packages. Right, okay. So all those packages um, that are actually like a hard plastic, they look like a, a crisp packet for all the world, but they're actually a harder plastic. Um, they're going to now take them and melt them down. So can you drop them off for free then in recycling centres in Meath at the minute, the crisp packets? Oh, the crisp packets you can, yeah. Well, I mean, you pay your two euro gate yeah. fee with all your other recycling. Yeah. So are all other recycling centres taking them then as well? All the recycling centres in Meath are taking them, so it's Trim, Navin and Kells. Oh, right, OK. So what we do and now if is... Any of anybody out there wants to get, you know, wants to get their, their, their kids in their class or the teachers or anything, I'm, I'm hoping to sort of push this into the schools, that the children will bring in their crisp packets and that we'll be able to recycle them. Absolutely. So now we're going yeah. to have a separate box at home now for just the bags of crisps yes, exactly. to go and into. Just to get people to actually sort out their recycling and, and pick out the crisp packets, as you say. You know? Wonderful. Christine, it's a great initiative altogether. So hopefully yeah, people out there all for the summer when the kids are off school and everything, they could make a little project with recycling their crisp bags. Yeah. Get your yeah. little box together yeah. in the kitchen and just pop them in there and then yeah. make a day of it. Bring them off to the, the recycling centre and then the money goes yeah. towards a really good cause. Yes, exactly. exactly. That's fantastic. It's the way of the future, Christine, isn't it? It is the way of the future, yeah. People people are really going to have to recycle and really the recycling centres have really taken off. I mean, there's a lot more people using recycling centres this year than last year and last year than the year before. It's really picked up. You think we're getting better at recycling? I do. In this I think that people are getting very good at it. I really yeah. do. I think they're getting great at it now. Well, hopefully. So. Great initiative. Christine Reynolds from Oxygen. Thanks yeah. a million. Have a good Thank weekend. Thank you very much. Take Thanks care, Christine. Bye bye. Talk to you again. Bye. Now, the winners for our golf competition today the Who Am I? The three clues I call Clara home, though amateur, I won big in 2009. And my last big win was in Abu Dhabi in January, but I just might do the business again in Portrush this week. Weekend. The answer, of course, Shane Lowry and our two winners, Daniel Pentony in Sunhill in Termonfecken. Daniel, you have a four ball for Donna Bate Golf Club there. And Jimmy Caffrey in Ashbourne has won a four ball for Beaverstown Golf Club. There are two winners. Thanks to everybody. And of course, thanks to Halpenny Golf for the prizes right throughout this week. Thanks to everybody for listening today. My lovely producer, Louise, inside, who has not yet conquered her fear of flying. But hopefully we have a little bit of advice for you, Louise. I believe a listener texted in. Yeah, just to say... Uh, big thank you, John and Rada, who text in um, telling me to hold my three-year-old's 
hand and that he'll look after oh. me. Which I would, John, but knowing Cormac, he'd probably be up there flying the plane at the time. Yeah, he will. Maybe he's going to be a future pilot. Yeah, well, hopefully before you go on your holidays, you will have conquered your fear of flying. Mike. I have no nails anyway. Oh, God Tell bless. <laughs> well, hopefully we will see you back and I'll see you back another stage. Thanks as always okay. to you, Louise, and to all my lovely guests this afternoon, especially to all of you for listening. Have a lovely weekend. Hopefully the weather improves. Make the most of it anyway. Take care of each other. Until next time, bye-bye. The Late Lunch, brought to you by Blackstone Motors. Setting the standards higher for award-winning customer service you can trust. Visit your regional dealer for Renault and Dacia in the Northeast for exclusive offers with low as can be APR finance and finance arranged within four hours. Dare to live? 